Well, good morning, Oak Hill Church. My name is Josiah Miltzer. I have the privilege of being, you can take a seat. Uh, I have the privilege of being youth director here at Oak Hill. And man, is it good to be with you this morning. Uh, Real quick, before we get going this morning, uh, ages four through first grade, you're dismissed for Children's Church. If you'd like to go at this time, you can do that. Um, I know looking outside right now, it, it, it doesn't feel or look that nice, but I want you guys to think back with me for just one second and think back to this past Monday. Who remembers it, right? It was beautiful. The sun was shining, the birds were singing, and we had to check our temperature gauges because they got, it got above 60 degrees. We couldn't believe it. You know, the Oak Hill staff, we even had our staff meeting outside, and everybody was loving and living in the sun. Uh, when I think about this past Monday a little bit, it was, it was kind of like, you could say, a trailer of what is coming for us in the spring. We didn't get the full season, you could say, but we got a, gl- a glimpse into the first episode, uh, a, a chance to see what the theme was going to look like. And man, it was exciting. We got a, it, Monday was like almost a, a, a reminder or a little bit of hope that look what is just around the bend, Right. It was a reminder that even though everything is cold, wet, dead, and looking brown because all the snow is melted, that soon everything's going to be budding, turning green, and coming alive. And in a couple of weeks, you're not even going to be able to tell that everything is dead right now. It's going to be a whole new creation out there. And man, oh man, are us Minnesotans, after a long hibernation of winter and lack of vitamin D, are going to enjoy spring. Can I get amen, right? See, uh, spring means new life, new growth. What was dead comes back to life. And that idea kind of ties into what we're going to be talking about in 2 Corinthians 5 this morning. And today, this passage that we're going to read in just a second is taken out of the letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. Uh, Corinth is kind of is, um, the equivalent to South Central Greece today, in case you're wondering. Um, but Paul, in, in this passage that we're going to read, Paul is going to show us how in Christ, we are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. We're also going to talk about how Jesus Christ has become our substitute, paying our penalty of sin. And we're also going to talk about how because of what Christ has done, we've been given a high and holy responsibility to be his ambassadors and representatives on Christ's behalf. Let's read 2 Corinthians 5 verses 16 through 21 now. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. And we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might have the righteousness of God. Uh, I'm going to pray in a second, and I'm going to actually be reading a prayer. And it's kind of a prayer I I read this week earlier, and I adapted it from a lady by the name of Anne Graham Lotz, who's the daughter of the late Reverend Billy Graham, actually. And 
she has an incredible heart. This prayer has an incredible heart for the lost. And, and I found this prayer to be the kind of heart posture that I pray us as a church, Oak Hill, would have, would have as we read God's word together. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, in a world of lonely and frightened people, give me a heart that is broken for the things that breaks yours. Give me compassion for the lost and dying, for the people you love. Give me and those assembled here this morning an unquenchable love for the gospel, for Jesus, and for your word. Use our church family at Oak Hill to make an eternal difference in the lives of people around us. I humbly and boldly ask that you give us and those who hear this message an attention to our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, our classmates, and even our enemies who have not yet been rescued and redeemed by the blood of Jesus. God, I ask you, you would grow us in the truth found in 2 Corinthians 5, and I ask that you would help us reflect and share the truth found in your word this morning. We gather in your name, Jesus. Give us ears to hear what you have to say. Amen. Our first point that we're going to take a look at from the text this morning is how in Christ we are a new creation. It comes from, I'm going to repeat that one more time so you get the point. It's in Christ we are a new creation. Uh, going back to verse 17, we're going to read that one again. It says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. What does that really mean? Someone might ask that question, right? And right away, when we look at this passage of Scripture, when we look at verse 17, specifically this verse, and start to break it down, we have to ask the question, what is the therefore, therefore, right? Anytime that the, the, the word therefore is used, it's referring to, back to something that was previously mentioned. So this specific therefore at the beginning of verse 17 is referring back to previous verses above, verses 14 through 16 actually. So if you like marking stuff in your Bibles, if you're following along, you can make an arrow up to verse 14 if you like to do that. I do that. But um, we're going to read verses 14 through 16 so we can get a little bit of context to help us understand the point that is being made here. So 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 through 16. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. From the context of of verses 14 through 16, we see that Paul tells us that believers have died with Christ and no longer live for themselves. Our lives are no no longer just for this life or just for this world, but our lives, they're now also for the kingdom of heaven. And our death that it talks about is that of the sinful nature, which was nailed to the cross with Christ. It's stated another way in Galatians 2.20. It says this, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. This life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The point that Galatians 2.20 is making, it, it helps us understand is, is dying to self and realizing that it's Christ in me. It's Christ in you. It's Christ in us as a church. And going back to to verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, see the theme there? He or she is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. 
Let's stop and think about this and unpack it a little bit and try and wrap our brains around this because it's a big deal. See, when we are in Christ, a new creation comes forth. It's not something that I'm doing or you're doing, saying or acting or planning or figuring out or controlling or putting into place or doing just right. We are becoming a new creation by solely what Christ is doing in us. And this phrase, new creation, it's, it's loaded with significance. It's rich. It, as I dug into the meaning of new creation, I, I had to call up a pastor or two and kind of ask for some help because I didn't know where it was coming from and trying to understand the context of it. And the word used for creation in the Greek is katissis. That means created out of nothing. And, and, and the theologians have used a Latin phrase I also learned about called ex nihilo. There's a quiz coming up on this. Make sure you're paying attention. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I had to write out the pronunciations. Um, but God, the, what, the point that they're making with these two different words and, and the meaning behind it and why I wanted to say them out loud is because the whole point of it is God made something out of nothing as he did in the creation of the universe. And why I love that, it's a beautiful reminder of this. Christ is not making a new version of you or a better version of you, an upgrade. He's making something completely new. Never has been unveiled before out of nothing. Like what can I add to myself? Nothing. Being a new creation reminds us again and again and again that our salvation in Christ is a total and free gift. It's something that God is doing in you because of him, not because of you. It's Christ in you. What a relief that is. And what joy can also be found in that. That's not up to me and my best work, how I measure up on a scorecard. And in Christ, it's the fact that in Christ, he has made something beautiful, something brand new. In me and in you. You might be wondering as you hear about this new creation and the beauty that's supposed to come with it and Christ doing a mighty work in you. You might be wondering, can can I stop you for a second? If this is true, why don't I feel like a new creation? That might be good and all, but I don't feel special. I don't feel beautiful. I don't track with that. I don't feel that. And my response, if if you're wondering that or if you're feeling that, can I just say you're not alone? I wonder that at times too. And I think the reason that we wonder and ponder and feel that way at times is the fact that we tend to forget that the old has gone. See, the old part, aka our sinful nature, our shame, our habits of addiction, the lies that we listen to, the feelings that we let overcome us, the doubts in our brains that sometimes go crazy, the thoughts of insecurity, the desires of always wanting more, the hopes that we put in places that can't fulfill us. We like to hold on to those, don't we? This sinful nature, why? Even though we know the old is not, not good for us or what is best for us, why do we do it? Pastor Ben, when I was talking to him, said, the reason why we do it is because we know it. We're scared to leave it. And we cling to it. That old nature, that struggle, that wrestle that we deal with daily, hourly, that nature points us for our need for help, 
for someone or someone to help us, to rescue us. That, that leads us to our, our second point that we're going to talk about, the atoning work of Christ in verse 21. Uh, this time in, in verse 21, I, I took the liberty of adding some brackets or you could say notes to help us understand it a little bit. So this is what it says. For our sake, he, God the Father, made him, Jesus, to be sin once and for all. Jesus, who, who knew no sin or was ever separated from the Father, so that in him, Jesus, we undeservedly but now adopted and forgiven might become the righteousness of God. I think it should say in parentheses at the end, what a gift. <laughs> see, breaking down this verse, we see that God made him who knew no sin to become a sin offering for us. That weight, that, that mega sin offering that was fell on the shoulders, on the heart, on the soul, on the mind, and on the body of Jesus. That's why for 2,000 years, this is stated each time we take the Lord's Supper or communion is given, a pastor or elder holds up the bread and says, this is the, the what? Yeah, the body of Christ. Broken for you. The body of Jesus is broken for me and for you. Why? So in him, we might have the righteousness of God. Jesus' holiness and purity has now been credited to us on account of Christ. He, Hebrews 4 verses 15, it says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. To be sin, that's what we read earlier in verse 21. This means that God the Father made Jesus to be regarded and treated as sin, even though Christ himself had never sinned. On the cross that day that we will soon celebrate, coming up real quick here in Lent, called Good Friday, was not good for our Lord Jesus. Matthew 27, verse 46, we see in that verse, Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me on the cross? Think about this. Jesus had always known deep intimacy with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. How long had that gone on for? Since forever. For unknown millennial, into eternity past, for so long our brains can't even comprehend it. There was holy and deep, there was holy and deep fellowship within the Trinity. Now that deep intimacy would be separated because Jesus became sin for us. Jesus of Nazareth would, would be crucified as a common criminal between two thieves. And the significance known as Calvary is that Jesus would become the final and complete sacrifice for personal sins like mine, all of, all of your sins, and global sin for all people. And the result, the result of Jesus dying on Calvary was the curtain in the Holy of Holies, the temple where God resided at the time. It was ripped in two. Not from bottom to top, like us doing something of reaching up to earn our salvation, but the curtain, it was ripped from top to bottom by the Father through his son's death. As verse 21 talked about, opened up a way for all people like you and me to enter and approach him. Ephesians 3.12 says, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. 
Jesus paid the penalty of our sin and appeased the holy wrath of God for our sins. Jerry Bridges in his book, The Gospel for Real Life, Returning to the Liberty Power of of the Cross, wrote this. Jesus bore the full, undiluted brunt of God's wrath. His wrath against sin was unleashed in all of its fury on his beloved son. God the Father held nothing back. That same idea was put into a worship song that I heard at my grandparents' church a couple of years ago. It was called by Stuart Townen. It's called The Power of the Cross is the title, if you've heard it. This is the lyrics of the, of the first verse in the chorus. It says, Oh, to see the dawn of the darkest day, Christ on the road to Calvary, tried by sinful men, torn and beaten then, nailed to a cross of wood. And the chorus just... Oh man, it comes out and it says, this, the power of the cross. Christ became sin for us, took the blame, bore the wrath. We stand forgiven at the cross. The wrath of God, the wrath poured out, heaped on his son for my sake, for your sake. If we've received this gift by placing our faith in Christ alone, we have Christ's righteousness. Put another way, it's a gift. Through faith in this gift, we, have, we are just as righteous and holy as Jesus, not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ has done. See, that message, that's worth sharing and giving our lives to. And it connects us to our final point that we're going to talk about. We are gifted and called as Christ's ambassadors. Verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. And we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Your heavenly position, role, or purpose, you could say, in God's agenda and mission is being an ambassador for Christ. Imagine that. God trusts me to be his representative, but specifically in this scripture text it talks about, it states that I am his ambassador. Just to be clear, what is an ambassador? I kind of use the definition that I found online for what it means to be a U.S. ambassador, at least. It says this, a U.S. government ambassador is the president's highest ranking representative to a specific nation abroad. He or she is the spokesperson for the United States, the nation in which one resides, as well as the spokesperson to the United States on behalf of the other nation. That person must be skilled in negotiation and the ability to remain patient to accomplish his nation's goals through, I love this part, a spirit of reconciliation. In the context of our our scripture verse that we've been reading, those who have placed their faith in Christ are his representatives, sent with a mission to see his purpose carried out in our world. And we do so most effectively from a stance of reconciliation And you could say, stance of reconciliation through relationships, right? Those ambassador conversations, you could say, in in relationships must be seasoned with grace and clear truth. The bottom line of what reconciliation means is once enemies are, are, are now friends. Do you think that people today are divided and angry with one another? Think that there's tension not just globally right now, but also in our nation in our culture, in our families. My dad likes to remind me of this. He, he says, people desire to hear the truth. They do. Just not from a, just not from a jerk. <laughs> Drip with grace. Humbly speak truth. 
Because your most vulnerable asset, your most relatable asset too, is that you're a messy sinner who needs God's grace daily, just like anyone else. But in the mess of our lives, Christ is making us new and reconciling us to himself. Not by anything that we're doing, but through the one we're with. Now we get to do that to others. This last part of, of our scripture text about being ambassadors connects with the sign that we see each Sunday when we leave the parking lot and head north on, on France Avenue, right? You are now entering the mission field. So, Okil, I, I have a question for you. Who are you going to pray for this week? Who are you going to call this week? Who are you going to share this ministry of reconciliation with? It's not easy. It could even be messy probably will be in in the ambassador roles that God calls us to. But remember this verse, 2 Corinthians 5.15? Jesus died for all people so that those who live should no longer live for themselves. That's us, you and me. But for the man who died and was brought back to life for them. We give our lives to tell others about this man, Jesus Christ, who once died, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and will come again soon. What a calling that is. What a trust that we've been given. I think it's worth giving our lives to, don't you? Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for 2 Corinthians 5, that as Paul wrote to the Corinth church, it's still applicable to us today. We need it, Lord. Thank you that in Christ, we are a new creation, that you've made us new. Even when we don't feel that, even then our brokenness seems to outshine God, thank you that you are working and reconciling us back to yourself through your son who made a way, who bore the wrath, who took our shame and that we've been given a new name, child of the one true king, God. Thank you for this opportunity that we have. You ask us to be your ambassadors, to be your voice. That we get to declare to others and and cry out to others, be reconciled to God and share our lives. God, we love you and we praise you. Thank you for the body and believers of of Oak Hill. Help us to love and cherish and serve and live for you as we enter the mission field. Amen. Hear this benediction as we go from here. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.